We are approaching my second favorite holiday. I think it's eclipsed. Thanksgiving has eclipsed for me even Christmas. And Christmas is great. And the Advent is great. But for me, it's Easter 1, Thanksgiving 2, Christmas 3. Why? Because I think that this holiday may have the most to offer us after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which should take its proper first place in importance. But I think this call to thanksgiving will actually change our life. And that's not just the pastor trying to make a big deal about it because it's this week. I really believe it. Now, it was George Washington who called for a holiday. Oftentimes we think about pilgrims and that sort of thing, and that's great. But it was George Washington who called for a holiday at the request of both, actually both houses of Congress recommended that we have a national day of thanksgiving to God. And following through on that on October 3rd, 1789, George Washington says this, a thanksgiving proclamation to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. In part of that proclamation and address as well, he says, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will. Not just recognize him, but to obey him, to be grateful for his benefits, Psalm 103, forget not his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. This day was to be a day of individual and corporate prayer for our nation. That's a pretty powerful day off, if you will. On that first Thanksgiving where Washington proclaims this is going to be a national day. What did he do? Washington himself marked the day by attending services at St. Paul's Chapel in New York City and by donating beer and food to imprisoned debtors in the city. Kind of funny to me. Now, George Washington understood that God was the one who was giving all of these blessings. I think he probably knew this verse from James 1 that says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. It was C.S. Lewis who simply said this, gratitude exclaims very properly how good of God to give me this. Recognizing that all good things come from God. Just as we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament commands us to be thankful. We just saw Psalm 100 enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's the way to his presence. And entering his courts with thanksgiving, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise and thanksgiving so often going together. First Chronicles 16, 34, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The reason we give thanks to him is he just keeps on being consistent. He keeps on giving. He keeps on loving us. And then in the New Testament, there's some interesting verses about 
thanksgiving. This one that's never been quoted probably on a day like this, Romans 1. Paul writes in Romans 1 this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. In other words, we see in the turning of the leaves, in the majesty of the mountains, in the roaring seas, we see his power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without an excuse. We can see God's revelation in nature. Verse 21, for although these people that he's talking about knew God, they never glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This verse is interesting because it kind of shows us that the lack of thanksgiving is kind of a serious deal to God. It's the lack of thanksgiving is a reflection of our hearts and who we ascribe our blessings from. Where where are these good things coming from? Jesus, Luke 17 verses 11 through 19 Now, on the way to his Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. We've talked about Samaria a little bit. The Jews and Samaritans, not so friendly with each other. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy is this skin ailment, but really we know now that it was about the nerves, and your nerves would, would not work, and so then you would end up hitting yourself on something or burning yourself in the fire and you couldn't feel it. And so then you would have mutilated and mangled limbs and different things and it would manifest itself also in your skin like it was like white um, and flaky, kind of gross. So leprosy was a really scary thing. In fact, this was the quarantining of their day. They would quarantine lepers in the colonies and they'd say, you have to yell unclean, unclean if you're on the road. So the people up on, the, on the way will know that you're coming so they can move out of your way and not catch leprosy from you. So these 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. That was what they were supposed to do. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. This is what you were to do if you were healed. When you were healed of leprosy, you would go to, your, go to the priest and you would be examined by the priest and then you would make certain sacrifices. And as they went, in the Greek it was like, and as they were going, they were cleansed. Like every step of obedience they're taking toward the priest and where the priests are, like they're getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. That's an awesome miracle, by the way. All 10 of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. I think that word should be rushed back. I can imagine this now cleansed leper running back to Jesus. He's just over the moon, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. This is the head first slide in a second. And thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Wait, 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 wait. No, those are the bad guys that we're not supposed to like. We can't have them doing the right thing. They're showing up the guys that are supposed to come back and be thankful and supposed to honor God. And yet it was a Samaritan, the one of the 10, who comes back and thanks Jesus. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? 
This is a rhetorical statement. Jesus knows exactly what happened. Where are the other nine, he says. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, thanksgiving and praise are almost identical. Giving thanks is giving praise to the Father for what he's done, what he's given. And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Thanksgiving feels like a really big deal. And even recent studies have shown that if you're grateful, there's all these crazy, wonderful side effects. I looked at a Harvard Health article who said, those who practice gratitude tend to have lower levels of stress, report higher levels of life satisfaction, and enjoy better relationships with their family and friends. That makes sense. Dr. Daniel Amen, he's the guy that behind the whole life skills movement. He's amazing. He's one of the world's most foremost experts on applying brain imaging science to clinical psychiatric practice. And I was watching a little TED talk from him last night, and he said, you want the best antidepressant? It's gratitude. You write down three things you're grateful for every day. Within three weeks, you'll notice a significant difference in your level of happiness. This is a man who's looked at like 50,000 brain scans. Well, that was an old video, so probably there's more than that now. He really knows what he's talking about. By the way, he loves Jesus. Dr. Michael Zigarelli, a professor at Messiah College, studied behavior and character in over 5,000 Christians worldwide. He was trying to find a common practice of believers who most consistently showed the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. The fruit of the Spirit is from Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the evidences that the Holy Spirit are living inside us and he's bearing fruit in our lives. And so what was the common denominator? Well, you're going to be shocked. Gratitude is what they call a parent virtue in that it begets other virtues. If gratitude was there in their study, you saw a long list of wonderful character traits and a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. So God knows what's best for us, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and he commands us to be thankful. So this morning, I'm going to take a few minutes and look at this biblical command to be thankful. It's not just a holiday we do once a year. It's actually a lifestyle that we're called to. We're going to look at two byproducts of living a life of gratitude. You give you a little motivation, perhaps, or open your eyes to some new aspects of what it looks like when you're thankful. But then I'm also going to mention three things. I'm going to call them antidotes. That, that Thanksgiving is an antidote to these three negative things in our life that we don't want to do, we don't want to look like. And then we're going to practice Thanksgiving at the end by taking communion. So if you thought we forgot, we didn't. That will be at the end you know, one woman said it this way, when gratitude becomes your default setting, life changes. I've been focused on gratitude and thanksgiving for several years now. If you listen to me talk, it comes up all the time. I'm so convinced that this is a core competency for us that I think it's gonna, it's gonna actually be a part of our, our spiritual formation or our discipleship pathway that we're recreating right now. Because I think when we live in this, so many other things begin to take care of themselves. Our perspective toward God and the world changes when we're consistently 
practicing Thanksgiving. So, first one, first byproduct is joy. Well, where do I get this idea? Well, it's actually in the word itself. Take a look at the Greek word here. It's going to be all Greek to you. Eucharisto, right? It's transliterated there for you, so you, you can get in touch with the word. Do you see the word Eucharist in there? Eucharist is what the Catholic Church has called Holy Communion. It, this is supposed to be an act of thanksgiving. But in this word, there is a little word hidden in the middle of the word. It's kara. And on this slide, you can see the car in the middle there. And then kara, the word right underneath it, you can see, see that word? Buried in thanksgiving is kara, the word joy. Joy is always a byproduct of thanksgiving. You ever met somebody who is super grateful? They're always joyful. It just, it always goes together. Where do I see this in the word? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a really cool verse that I'd like to spend about three weeks on. But the idea of like being joyful always, that feels like you're gonna like work up the joy, but I don't believe that's true. I think as you're praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances, then you're joyful always. Do you see this? It's like one leads to the next, leads to the next, and it's this wonderful dance. So interesting how thanksgiving, prayer, and joy are found so many places in the Bible. I'll show you one more evidence. Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What's going on here? Prayer and joy and thanksgiving. And they're informing one another and they're giving to each other and they're expressing themselves. Our current thinkers of the day, one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown says, practicing gratitude invites joy to our life. It's like she's been studying the Greek word or something. She said this, we're a nation hungry for more joy because we're starving from a lack of gratitude. So we're a nation hungry for more joy because we're starving from a lack of gratitude. Why? Because we keep surfing the internet, looking at all the things we don't have, looking at all the people that seem like they've got it together and wishing we had their life and all of this comparison instead of really stepping into a place of thanksgiving for what we have. And we kill our joy. Brene would say, there is no joy without gratitude. Think about that for a second. There is no joy without gratitude. When we're thankful for Jesus coming, when we celebrate Christmas, it's that thanksgiving for his coming, his advent, that actually makes us sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Brene says this, after all of her years of study, take a look at this long quote. It's on the screen here. I never talk about gratitude and joy separately for this reason. In 12 years, I've never interviewed a single person who would describe their lives as joyful, who would describe themselves as joyous, who was not actively practicing gratitude. If you choose Thanksgiving, you will get joy. Second byproduct of being thankful is peace. This is a great gift. Philippians 4, 
Verses six and seven, it's one of our boot camp memory verses. It goes like this. Take a look at the screen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is something about praying with thanksgiving that brings peace. Thank you, God, even in the midst of this trial that you're with me. Thank you, God, that you've got a plan for me even though I can't see the way. Lord, thank you, God, that you're never gonna leave me. You're always gonna be with me. Thank you, God, that you say you're gonna provide for my every need. And so I'm gonna trust you in the midst of these difficult days. Melody Beatty said this, gratitude makes sense of our past So we think about our past and we're thankful for the past and we rehearse God's goodness in the past. And Thanksgiving also, like I'm saying, gives peace for today. Oh, nope, God's in control. Even though my life feels very out of control and I know that control is only an illusion for me. I know that God is in control and so I can trust him and rely on him and have peace and lean back into his arms. So peace for today, and she says, and it creates a vision for tomorrow. Why a vision for tomorrow? Because when you've seen God's goodness in the past, you've rehearsed and you've thanked him for what he's done in the past, you can not only have peace in the moment, but you can believe that he's gonna do more of the same in the future because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So gratitude gets you joy, but it also has a byproduct of peace. But what about this antidote business that I'm talking about? Thanksgiving is the antidote for three things that I'm gonna point out, although I, had a, I was just so tempted to make a larger list, but just for three things really quickly this morning. It's an antidote for complaining, comparing, and entitlement. Three things that you don't wanna be known for and you don't wanna look like. I can't believe I'm gonna quote Doris Day, but I'm going to do it right now. Doris Day said this, gratitude is riches, complaint is poverty. It's actually a really good word. Gratitude is riches, complaint is poverty. Complaint means that I'm just looking at what's wrong instead of being focused on what is right and what is good. It was Aesop who said this, Gratitude turns what we have into enough. You know, one of the things that we did in youth ministry was we built uh, homes for these Native, Ameri- uh, Native, Native peoples in Mexico. And Papa Glenn could tell you about it. We built these homes and these people were so thankful for what they had. Some of them only had cardboard and some pieces of plywood all kind of duct taped together and that was their home and yet they swept out the floor very proudly like this is my place, this is my palace. You didn't get the sense that they were worried about what they didn't have. They were just so grateful for what they had. And student after student after student who encountered those people in Mexico and those of us who are adults, right Randy? Like it... it, forced you to look at your life and say, I'm getting something wrong. I'm taking so much for granted. And we do. 
And so then when we are in that space, we complain. I wish I had this. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In other words, this is a really hard time you're living in. Don't complain. And if you don't, then you'll shine like stars in the universe, Paul says. There's something about someone who is filled with gratitude. They just don't complain because their focus is on thanking God for what they have instead of focusing on what they don't. Well, the second thing gratitude is an antidote for is comparing. Some of you are really good at comparing yourself to everyone else. You walk into the room and you go, okay, who's the strongest, prettiest, most powerful, funniest, fill in the blank, most talented person here in the room, where do I fit? And I could probably give you lots of studies about psychology and how even a kindergartner would walk into the room and decide to size up the room, try to figure out where they fit. Comparison is the thief of joy, they say. And it's really true. I was reading a blog last night um, from the folks with Girls on the Run. Do you guys know about Girls on the Run? Mimi did it a couple years ago. It's amazing, by the way. Shout out to our friends here in Chico that run, that do good Girls on the Run. They are teaching incredible character and they're, they're so they do character discipleship stuff, really, with the girls. And then they're running. And I read their blog last night. It talked about comparison-based gratitude. I don't even know what this was. I'm like, what is this? I gotta read this, see what this is. Comparison-based gratitude is when you try to teach your kids to be thankful by showing them not to be like someone else. You see Susie over there? You see how hard her life is? You can have that life. You should be thankful. Man, we've all done that as parents. Just go ahead. We just own it right now. We don't have to be all like, oh, no, it's not me. Somebody else has that problem, not me. I never said that to my kids. I totally have said that to my kids. Are you kidding me? You should be thankful for what you have. You should be thankful that both legs work. I know what it's like when your legs don't work. You should be thankful. That doesn't work. It's not a very good parenting strategy anyway. But gratitude by comparison is not really gratitude. It's just really trying to manipulate someone into feeling a certain way. Gratitude has to do with understanding all things come from God. That's what Thanksgiving's all about, this holiday we're gonna have this week. I love this quote. Comparison traps. Traps us in an attitude of superiority and inferiority. That's what I was talking about, right? Gratitude guards us against falling into that trap totally think that's true. Eugene Peterson, in uh, his paraphrase of the New Testament, uh, in the message, uh, says this. It's his paraphrase of uh, Romans 12, verse 6. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. You know, it is just so much easier to be me than trying to be somebody else. So, antidote for complaining, antidote for comparison. Lastly, antidote for entitlement. 
Love this Brene Brown quote. Jeez, I'm just a big fan, sorry. Not sorry. Um, what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. What separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. I don't know about you, but I've noticed in our culture, people feel more and more entitled. They feel like they deserve more than everyone else thinks they do. And yet, we are so blessed, all of us. We are so blessed by God. We're living in the top 1% of the entire world. Our, our problems truly are first world problems. We have so much to be thankful for. And yet entitlement says, no, that's not enough. I want more. In fact, I deserve more. Where is it? Give it to me. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's just not about us. It's not about me. I should be rushing to try to open the door for others. I should be honoring others. I believe honor and thanksgiving fit together. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how. So if you've got ideas, send me a message because I want to figure that out. I was reading a, a blog by a guy named Dr. Boyd Chitwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He said, gratitude doesn't mean I like everything, but it does mean I find gifts all the time, every day, in every circumstance. God's grace to me in Christ is always there, no matter the circumstance. That towers over any disappointment or discomfort and the outworking of God's grace touches more than just my eternal salvation. It touches everything. And yet, he says, my gratitude comes and goes. God never stops giving. But perhaps I stop noticing the gifts. And as people who are committed to thanksgiving... We need to do what Colossians 4 says, and that is devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I'm always watching to see where God's working and moving and where he's coming through so I could tell stories about what he's done, so I could give him praise, so I could thank him. I think it was Albert Einstein who said, you're either going to believe that there's no miracles or you're going to believe that everything, every moment has a miracle in it if you're willing to find it. And there is an invitation that God is giving you today to live a life filled with gratitude. And just as last week I talked about the secret weapon of vulnerability, and it is a secret weapon, this is another one of those top 10 things that if you really dive in to learning how to live this life of gratitude, your life will completely change. And I'm not exaggerating. In every circumstance. And sure, it comes and goes. And our ability to sometimes see, we need somebody else to pick up our face so that we can see what God's doing. That's why we need each other. We can say, hey, 
Look at, but look at this. Even in the midst of a hard situation, but look what God did. But what, what could God be doing here? And then as time goes by, he begins to kind of unveil what he was doing. We're thankful this week. My wife had surgery and she came through beautifully. And I love it when the doctor says, we didn't have to do as much as we thought we were going to have to do. And I thought, I think I know why. I think there was a lot of people praying. Even down to driving back from Sacramento and she was like conked out. Because that could have been a really hard ride and bumpy. You never know how many bumps are in the freeway until you're driving your wife who is having, you know, we're thankful. We could be entitled. Why didn't God heal her up all, all beforehand? What's wrong with God? Why didn't he hear our prayers? No, we're thankful. Is it perfect? No, she had surgery. She's got pain. There's medicine for that. We're working it out. There's reasons to be thankful. If you're watchful to see what God's doing, he's always working. He's always doing something magnificent to be able to give him praise for. It changes your whole outlook and attitude. I've been sending messages with my friend Dave Dahlberg. Dave, um, Dave and Jamie were here in our church. They relocated to Idaho well, a couple years ago now. They had one baby when they left. They had another baby this summer in August. The pictures you see on the far left is a one pound, three ounce baby born at, I think, 24 weeks, but I could be off by a week, so don't quote me. Sorry, Dave. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed more, and we're still praying for that baby. That baby not only had miracles that the heart surgeons declared and said multiple times, yep, she doesn't need heart surgery anymore. Yep, that's taken care of. Yep, that's not a problem. It's just one miracle after the next, after the next. That baby is now seven pounds plus and went home on Friday. And it's one of those moments where all the chill bumps kind of go up and down your spine if you know Dave and Jamie. If you don't know them, when you see what God does, it gives you faith to believe that maybe he would do that in your circumstance because he sees some of you are in a terrible financial situation and God sees you. He's for you. He wants to take care of you. He sees those of you who are struggling relationally and your heart is so torn up and broken and you, you feel like there's a despair that's never gonna lift and yet he sees you. He's El Elroy, the God who sees. He sees those of you who have dreams that you feel like your dreams have been crushed and there's no way those things are gonna go forward. And either, either he's gonna resurrect that dream or he's gonna replace it with something beautiful if you're willing to watch and look. Some of you have received a diagnosis. He sees you. He's gonna walk with you. He's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. And in this moment, you can be thankful because God is going to be with you every step of the way. He sees those of you who are lonely and you feel disconnected and you feel like you can never break into a relationship. He sees you. He's the God who puts lonely into families. He's gonna give you new strategy to connect. There is so much to be thankful for.
And if you have your communion elements, if um, grab those. If you didn't, you can run real quick and get some in the back. We're going to take communion, um, and specifically, we're going to focus on being thankful. Because communion is all about the sacrifice that Jesus made to give his life to pay the penalty for our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, to cleanse our consciences, Hebrews says. Though our sins were red like scarlet, his sacrifice makes them as white as snow. You ever feel like you do something, you did something and you offended someone or you, you hurt someone with your words, your actions, and you feel like I'm, they're never going to forgive me. I'm just going to be carrying this around for the longest time. And it's that pit of your stomach, guilt that just feels like it just keeps, the guilt is the gift that keeps on giving and it just keeps churning. Jesus came to remove that. He says, when I forgive you, it's as if your sins were removed as far as the east is from the west. I've forgiven your sins and I remember them no more, the Old Testament says. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you gave us the best gift, that you yourself are the best gift. So we pray as we take this symbol of the bread and it was broken for us. Your body was broken for us. And so teach us to be more thankful for what you've done for us. Let's eat this together. And on that night he was betrayed, he also took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood, the new covenant. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. So how will you remember? How will you remember the things that God's done for you? What are the tangible ways you could remind yourself to be thankful? Because God's done some amazing stuff in our lives. And I think sometimes we forget his benefits, the good things that he's done. That's Psalm 103, those of you who are taking notes. And we forget. How do we remember? How do we remember? The Birchits, we remember in a couple different ways. One thing is, we, I like to write them down. I like to have visual reminders. So sometimes when there's something really powerful that happens, you need an art piece or something else to remind you of that moment. If you come into my office, my office is filled with reminders of moments where God met me. You see, over my couch, I have this panoramic picture that I took with my iPhone. Turned out pretty great. At the top of Slemish, this mountain in Ireland. And it's a sunny day, except for way off in the distance, you can see it's snowing. And that was a day when I had made a pilgrimage to Ireland. 
and I was looking for healing. It was after the fire and some very hard relational things, and I was looking for healing. And I decided to go to this mountain because this is the mountain where St. Patrick was a slave boy. And he said in his confession, this is where I learned to pray. I learned to pray 100 times a day and even more times at night. So I thought, maybe if I go to that place, God will teach me too. And that somehow I'll be transformed. And that might sound silly to you, but it was really powerful to me. So when I arrived, I arrived with my friends, Ian and Jill, and we looked and the snow was coming sideways. He says, ah, I, it's not a good day to climb Slemish. I said, oh no, it's a great day because my father loves me and by the time I get to the top, it's gonna be sunny on the top of Slemish. He looked at me like I had three heads and his wife, who's a medical doctor, says, I'm not going. And she, he said, I, I'm in. I said, I got the right clothes, let's go. I've been waiting a year for this. And we climbed up about three quarters of the way the clouds completely part. It's sunny on the top of Slimish. And I take this picture. And I printed it on a canvas in my office. What is it? It's my reminder. The same God who will part the clouds and stop the weather and show a son that he loves him in such a tangible way on a mountain in Ireland is the same God that's gonna walk with me today no matter what I face, what are the reminders that you have? What are the tangible things? When God moves in your life, when he delivers you from something, when you miraculously get your medical bills completely paid off, someone told me that story this week. You need a reminder of that. You need something. It's like memorial stones to say, this is what God did. What will you, how will you remind yourself to be thankful? That's my last I leave you with that this morning. Because it's great to talk about this. And then we're gonna have turkey. And then we're gonna get busy buying presents. But this is supposed to be a life-changing activity. This mindset shift. This is what the kingdom looks like. And it's all about Thanksgiving. Would you stand with me? Prayer folks, if you'd come down forward. I wanna challenge you today to tell people in your life what you're thankful for. You can make it super square because that sometimes is the best way. Like over lunch, you're like, let's all talk, talk, talk about what we're thankful for. It's okay, you can be square. You have permission, you don't have to be cool. Permission granted. You can blame it on me. Our dorky pastor said this. Okay. When you declare with your mouth that you're thankful, things will change. Your mindset will change. It will take you to a place of praise. So Jesus, I pray that you teach us to be Thankful, teach us to tell your stories. And even as we breathe in and out, our very breath is from you. And so we live in thanksgiving. Transform us, make this more than a holiday. Pray a blessing on my friends in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So glad you came this morning, whether you're here or on the stream. If you're here in Chico, Come and see me. I'm going to do live music downtown from 4 to 8 at 5th Street Clothing. If you're from the church, wave at me like this, because when I see you out of context, I won't know. God bless you. We'll see you next week.